you're listening to episode 36 of Desi Geek Girls. I'm Swapna Krishna. And I'm Preeti Chipper, and we're recording on Wednesday, November 13th, 2019. Two episodes? It's like two episodes in less than a month, right? This is our second episode in like three weeks. We're killing it. Killing it. It's like that Paul Rudd meme. Yeah. Hey, look at us. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. It is. We're doing it. (laughs) We're tired. But we're doing it. <laughs> 2019. Yes. We're tired, but we're doing it. Yes. Yes. This is 100%. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, all right. This is actually – we have a lot to talk about in we this do. episode. Because... We thought it was just going to be a mini episode, but I think it's probably going to be a full length. Yeah, I think so with the amount of just stuff that has come out that mm-hmm. we both engage with and, and want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the – of the utmost importance is <laughs> that <laughs> I did a drink right as she was saying that and I was very poorly timed. So. Uh, the the most important news to release this week, and I know you all agree, is that there was finally a new Sonic the Hedgehog trailer. <laughs> I know you all agree that is the single most important piece of news from 100%. the past week. <laughs> So, okay, this is kind of a big deal, though, because it's it's a unique situation in which... <laughs> in which Preeti oh, complained sorry. until... <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. That is, like, yes, we all made fun of this. We all made but fun it, of Sonic when he first came. Like, because it was just so weird. Why would you... Okay, regardless of the why. So in... in early May, late April, they released a trailer for the new Sonic the Hedgehog. And it's it was horrifying. Yeah, I don't exactly know. I don't think anybody knows what they were trying to do. Hyper realism. Maybe they're like, well, the Lion King is realistic. We got to go hyper realistic yeah. with this hedgehog that can run faster than the speed of light. Like, I don't know. But it was super. Like, first of all, Sonic was really tall. Yeah, he was tall. He he wasn't like he they. I mean, I, we all know the worst part. It was the human teeth. Yeah. The worst part was the human teeth. It was awful. It was unnecessary. And it was nightmare inducing. Yeah. But so they were like, okay, we're going to redo it. We're going to. And God, these poor animators. I was like, going to say, I really hope these animators got paid overtime because. For real. Because they came back. This trailer dropped. And it's actually great. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. Sonic looks great. I'm interested in the movie now. There have been some like theories that the the whole thing was on purpose to get people talking about the movie. And no I'm like, way. no, no, they want to put that no much money into way. it. There was, it was a studio intervention. Some suit was like, Hey, this yeah. hedgehog needs to look more real. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I like human teeth. Yes. Give the hedgehog human teeth. Teeth, 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 teeth. teeth. Until the head animator was like, fine, <laughs> fine. Here are the teeth you asked for, my yes. lord. So, um, <gasps> so that's that's done now. But if you haven't checked it out, we'll link um, include a link into um, to the trailer in the show notes. Sorry, I'm a little bit sick, so my brain is not functioning very well. Um, but yeah, no, that's really exciting. I think it's hard because, like, on one hand, I'm really glad they fixed it, but on the other. I am very wary of the effect of, like, backlash. Oh, Do you know what I mean? There's, like, the dual sides of it. Like, on one hand, that was just messed up, and they messed up, and it's good that they fixed it. But on the other hand, you don't want people to just be able to complain about things and then... Have them change. Yeah. Well, there's good faith backlash and bad faith backlash, right? There's good faith backlash, which is, like... This wasn't like, you ruined my beloved childhood character. It was like, this, this was is like, not enjoyable to see yes. on screen because it's not a compelling story. And it was figure. not, it was not, no one was calling for them to go back to the drawing board. No. Nobody was saying, you need to redo this. People were just saying, what the fuck are you doing? Why would you do this? <laughs> Why? Horrifying. <laughs> it's not, you know, it's not like, hey, the people who you know, like some certain segments of the Star Wars backlash. Like, there's good faith and there's bad faith. And this this very much was just like, we're not telling you to do anything, but we are going to make fun of this because it's awful. Yeah. 
And so, and they listened and went back to the drawing board. But um, so no, now I'm now I am looking forward to that movie. So. Uh, speaking speaking of going back to the drawing board. Oh my board. god! Okay, this is my favorite thing to happen in a really long time. <laughs> um. So, and you could ask Preeti how much I love this because I've just been texting her about it <laughs> randomly for the past day. Um, Disney Plus came out yesterday, Woo-hoo. November twelfth. And um, on Disney Plus, uh, they released 4K HDR versions of all the Star Wars movies, um, except obviously Episode Nine, but the rest of them. And um, because there's not been enough tinkering with this scene in you know the history of Star Wars, something additional was added to the Greedo Han <laughs> Cantina scene. <laughs> In the most the valuable of Star Wars movies, yes. <laughs> and like at this point, I'm just hoping that George Lucas keeps tinkering with that scene for the rest of his life. So yes, supposedly, agreed. I read that this was not added for this release, but it was added in like 20. George Lucas added it in 2012 before he like turned over Reigns of Lucasfilm to Kathleen Kennedy, and no one paid attention because you know it wasn't wide release or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what the situation is, but. The bottom line is before Han shoots, or before Greedo shoots Han, because we all know, I guess, that Greedo shot Han first, which is, let's just not even go there. Um, he hmm. says, McClunky. <laughs> which apparently, there are all these people on Twitter now trying to explain that McC- McClunky is some sort of hut ease word that means like this is the end or like me you're gonna meet your end or something like that and I'm like sure I'm sure there's a reason behind it but these people are missing the point that it's just really funny that to hear Greedo just be like McClunky (laughs) and the timing is so weird because it's like really like then Han has an I don't know it was just weird timing but the word is it's hilarious it is like a new scene they just Cut to a shot of Greedo's face. And then he's just like, McClunky. Like, McClunky. <laughs> it's just a funny sounding word. And like, I've been texting really Preeti, is. like, just randomly, like, McClunky. It's like my favorite uh, thing. It will never not make me laugh. It will never not make me laugh. It was so good. It's so, so funny. Like, it's Thank like, you. It's Thank like, you. I know. It's like the thing we need right now. And I know there are some people pissed about it. But, like, I'm like, come on. Like, Whatever. It's funny. And, like, I understand people being more irritated than I am irritated about, you know, like, Han shot first versus not. Because that is, a, like, a fundamental character thing. That's a character thing. That's a thing. huge character thing that defines that character from the beginning. Whereas this is mm-hmm. just, like, some green alien saying McClunky. Like, it's just... If you are mad about it, then I am sorry, but you don't have enough of a sense of humor, I guess. I'm sorry, but I think it is hilarious. Okay, I'm going to surprise Preeti with something that is not on our list. But did you hear that they are not planning season five of Veronica Mars? What? There's a release that they specifically have no plans. Gee. Hmm. I wonder why. And like, oh, okay. every single like response I saw was like, "Good, because you like fucked up. You fucked that up." Like, um, we I know we did our episode we on did, it, and that's why I wanted to bring it up because we were talking about what they would do for a potential season five, but and it's a gamble, and it kind of it it. I mean, it harkens back to the uh, "How I Met Your Mother" argument, which is deciding on an end for a character despite like once you put stuff out into the world like there is it is now out of the context of your own head Mm -hmm. and you can either listen to that context or not listen to that context and if you choose not to like that's a gamble that you're taking as a creator right and doesn't always pay off it does not obviously um Okay, so I guess let's talk about our main episode. Yeah. So we are going to discuss today The Mandalorian, the first episode. Yeah, we both watched it. And um, so first let's talk non-spoilery thoughts. So I said on this podcast, like when the show was first announced, I think I said something like, I'm not interested in this show. I'm glad it exists. (laughs) 
it's not for me because I'm not really introduced interested in the Mandalorians. I'm not really et cetera, et cetera. So it's not for me, but I'm glad it exists and I'm glad people who want to see it have it. And can I completely take that back? Can I completely just like pull that back out of the universe? Because oh my god, this show was great. It was so good. And yeah. I said I said to Swapna like after we were talking about it this morning, and I was like, look, if this is what non-Skywalker storytelling is going to be and has the potential to be, then I'm sold. I'm yeah. sold on stories existing outside of our beloved, like, family, first family of the Force. Like, yes. this is, it was such a unique and interesting take on what Star Wars has the potential to become. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It was so, like, the tone of it was so cool. And there was enough relationship to what we know and love that it didn't feel entirely, like, out of place. Yes. And I feel like two things I loved about it, there's a lot of things I loved about it, but two of the, like, non-spoilery things I could talk about it is the mundanity of it. Yes. We see our first bathroom. Yep. In Star Wars. And we um, see, like, a Star Wars taxi stand. Like, it's just, like, it's very, like, it gets into, like, the mundane ins and outs that you never get a chance to see in the movies. And to a certain extent, we haven't seen a lot of this in the cartoons because they don't don't really need, like, the cartoons are, while all ages can enjoy them, are generally aimed at a younger audience. So they don't Mm -hmm. need those aspects of storytelling. Yeah. Yeah, so, I agree. Yeah, so I really, and the second thing I loved about it is aimed, is, is kind of ties into that. It's that it is the first Star Wars show we're seeing that is that is aimed specifically as adult, at adults. It's not trying to be all ages. It's not trying to, you know, be for kids, but other ages can enjoy them. Uh, it is an adult show, and I really yeah. like that. This is the first time we're seeing... And then arguably, the movies even are kind of all-ages movies. And The Mandalorian was not all-ages. It was an adult show. Yeah, it was an adult show with adult sensibilities. And it, meaning it doesn't, like, the, what, it is fairly, and I would argue, like, uniquely violent. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, not aggressively so, but in terms of Star Wars, like, it's, it's pretty violent. Yeah. And also, it's, you know, back to your point about how it kind of celebrates the mundane within this world. It It's doing a lot of work for what the rest of the world divorced from the mainline trilogy or, or I, I, I don't think there's a word for a group of nine. Yeah. No, a mainline no, trilogy no, is fair. I think. Um, outside of that. And it, it has, I think it's going to lead to a lot of really cool story like outside of just the Mandalorian. I think Mm -hmm. this is going to breathe life into storylines in the books and in the comics and all of these places that are already doing really cool work. Um, It was just such a great... Every It it felt like they were so thoughtful about every facet of it. Like Mm -hmm. not just like world design and story, um, but also like the music and how the Mandalorian himself interacts with everything. Like I, there was a point where Pedro Pascal in the suit, like reacts to something somebody says. And I could see like the expression, despite him wearing the helmet, like it was such a, like a specific head head tilt or whatever, where I was like, you really studied how to use that within the context of the show. It was so good. And I just, I really loved, I just, I loved everything. I loved the music was amazing. That kind of pounding, oh, the score. I haven't it, listened to it yet, but supposedly it's on Spotify and I absolutely am excited. It's it's the um, same composer who did Black Panther. Mm, mm, oh, and you okay, can, okay. You yeah, can you can hear tell. the like, you, there's a, there's a depth to it and a, like a, like a bombastic nature that works so well within this like kind of faux Western they've mm-hmm. created. Mm-hmm. And I think one argument that um, I think this show dispels is that there, after Solo, um, people were just advocating for moving out of this timeline entirely mm-hmm. because it's like it's done. Like the Empire, for, like it's like this post- Empire pre-post is done. Like let's move on. Let's go to the Old Republic. Let's do. And I think this show, sh- show like really demonstrates that there still are so many stories mm-hmm. to tell in this era. 
Um, yes, agreed. Agreed wholeheartedly. It's such an interesting, because it's not, like, Solo, the whole thing is that it's still attached to Skywalker, because it's Han Solo, right? Yeah. And I think there's a limit there as to how much potential for story there is, especially when it's a character that you know, you know that character's end. Like, we mm-hmm. talk about that a lot, of breathing life into moments that exist within a construct that we know the conclusion to. Yeah. Right? Like, they exist in this space that we know how it's going to go. This is actually a space where we have we don't no know. idea how this, what's going to happen to this character. All we right, don't. I feel like we should get into we spoilers. We should get into spoilers. So I am, I am making a spoiler alert right now. Um, so we'll have this in the show notes as spoilers, but we are going to start talking spoilers. Um, okay, so... Should we start with the big reveal at the end? We have to start with the big reveal because that is the that was the most like, out, shit I've ever seen out of fucking left field. Okay. I was like, "What the fuck?" Can I tell you that the whole time? So you all presumably, if you're listening to this part, you've seen it, but and if you haven't, please go watch because that like bananas reveal at the end is so good. So good. So it's the reveal of who the Mandalorian has been sent to either remove bring in or, or get kill. bring yeah. in right. And the whole time, like the minute you see it's this like small thing, I was like, oh my god, it's a hutling. I was like, oh, it's some. <laughs> I, well, I was like, it's got to be some sort of baby Jedi, is what I thought. But then I was like, but it's fifty years old, like. I don't and understand. It was like the cutest little baby Yoda. I've ever the seen baby in my Yoda. Life. Like it was so cute. And which I feel okay. So we don't know a lot about Yoda species. No, we don't even know what the species. We don't is. know the snake species name. Like, and people are like, "Oh, they're from Dagobah." Well, we don't actually we know don't that. that. Yoda took refuge on Dagobah because it's strong in the dark side of the Force, and that would mask his like his presence. But that doesn't mean he's from there. So we don't know where they're from. We don't know what his species are called. We do know that there are others of Yoda species. And every single one of them that we've met are Force-sensitive. Which yes. the argument has been posited in the past. That means all of them are. They're a Force-sensitive species, which is why there are so few of them. Because they've been hunted in the past. I just, I, I like, the implications that this has, which are wide-reaching, I think, um, per- Assuming this little baby Yoda survives, which mm-hmm. is, I'm not going to be able to handle it if it doesn't. Because um, it's 50 years old, which... Which is also interesting oh. because any long-lived species that we see in media, usually they grow up fat. Like, they, they're adults for the bulk of their life. Like, they don't have a short and growing <laughs> up process. Which is, like, weird if you think about it. But, like, yeah, of course... a kid uh, species that lives 900 years or even longer is going to be a baby for a very long time i just couldn't stop thinking of hobbits yeah Yeah. (laughs) it's like you're like the at 50 you're basically like a one-year-old yeah 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 that's it's accurate i i i can't i can't understate how what the reaction to this has been yeah um and just the idea of like finding another yoda species because um i think the assumption that we're all making is that the the youngling i guess is force sensitive at least that's the assumption i'm making what because otherwise why would the remnants of the empire which we're going to get to that care about bringing in this like just baby it's like yeah my argument is the kid has to be force sensitive and then, because why why else does it matter yeah and if that's the case how many more are there not I, just well, of the species but how many more force you know users are there out there sensitive. and um because we know that order 66, and we know that there have to they have to exist yeah they have to exist we know that um and so yeah there's it it was just mind-blowing it really was. And so, okay, that was the big, 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 big Okay, thing. so let's go but back. But the rest of the, let's go back. The rest of the episode does not disappoint. Like, it mm-hmm. opens, that is, it was such, you know, mentioned earlier about the kind of Western aesthetic. And it is really kind of a gunslinger Star Wars show. Yeah. Like, the Mandalorian is clearly a bounty hunter. Like, we know that he's with the guild. And he 
is good at his job. Yeah. Like, he is good at what he does. I really enjoyed the standoff in the bar, uh, mm-hmm. the opening sequence, because I feel like it set the tone of the show really well mm-hmm. and set the characterization of the Mandalorian really well. Like, he is just there to get the job done. Yeah. And... um I, but I also thought we got a lot of really good character development in very short. We got a like for someone who doesn't take off his helmet. Um, we got a lot yes. of character development in a very short because the episode was only forty minutes long. I think like it was a not a super long episode, but like for example, when we saw like kind of the Mandalorian hideout and then mm-hmm. kind of the flashbacks to his youth and the just the choices he makes and the way he. Like, carries, like, you learn a lot more than you think you do about him and yep. who he is. Um, yeah, I mean, we can we can fast forward a little and talk about that sequence, right, where he uh, shows up with the, what is it called, the Barak? Now I can't remember what the, the payment was. He shows up to, clearly, the, where the is metal, that? The metal, yeah. The metal, um, which we know is very important based on not just the context of the show, but it showed up in Rebels. Rebels. You know, yep. we know we know a little bit about the Mandalorian culture and the importance that they give to things like this. And so that sequence where he shows up to the the foundry, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Um, and that other Mandalorian in the coolest character design, I think, with the like fur and the, you know, yeah. and they're talking about he he says he's a foundling, and so he very generously gives the leftovers of that for foundlings so presumably there are these kind of mandalorian there's such a commitment to culture among them that i think this makes sense as a natural progression as to who they would become yeah um and i think um can we talk about uh, werner herzog (laughs) of course (laughs) who plays first of all werner herzog and like when he was cast i was like what even are what but what it's so good yeah it's so good and he plays his role so freaking well um he plays a former like when those doors open and there are stormtroopers i was like like, what the fuck they're dirty and they're beaten and i loved that right it's like they haven't they no longer have ass it was an immediate uh expression of where the empire stands is what those stormtroopers looked like and that was awesome yes and so because this is i believe six years post return of the jedi yeah it's like five or six years um and so he is clearly an imperial and still or like a former imperial still but still uh, ascribes to the imperial you know whatever yeah and the question is who is he working for Yep. Because he gives the Mandalorian the um the you know the bounty to f- bring the youngling in, but what does this former Imperial has no like? What reason does he have to want some you know like? There's clearly some organization at work. Is it the First Order? Is it like the remnants of the Empire? Is it the Emperor who we know somehow you know survive like who we're pretty sure we don't know. But thanks to what we know about the rise of Skywalker, survived and is still like, is he still pulling strings and trying to find a new apprentice? Like, what is going on? Yeah. And I, it's not, I don't know what kind of answer we're going to get, but I think what's important is that because this is through the eyes of the Mandalorian, I don't know that we're ever going to find out because yeah. he's clearly in it for other reasons. Like, yeah. his his concern is not the empire or or the rebellion his concern is his culture and his commitment to that and using jobs to get to that at least within this episode right that clearly is going to shift based on the end of the episode Mm -hmm. in some way yeah but right now he's a he's a neutral party he is he is although it was interesting that moment with the taxi where he was like no droids yes that was very interesting um, I'm not sure if he just doesn't trust them because they can be used to, like, record, th- you know what I mean? Or he has some sort of prejudice against droids, although he was happily willing to work with the IG unit. I don't know about happily, Well, but he was willing, willing to do it. He was willing so to do it, I- and I don't think he was more okay with killing the IG unit than he would have been with killing a person. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, I, I do think he's also, like, pragmatic. Yeah. Um, I It's... 
it was such a strong look into this character. Mm-hmm. There was a lot. There was a lot of this episode. It wasn't slow in terms of when you're watching, but there was a lot of thought given to silence and like what isn't being yes. said and the implications. And there was just it, there's not a lot of dialogue in the episode and there's not no. the music does set a tone. But like there's a there was a there's this show is as much about what isn't being said as what is said. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, the moment with the uh, the Ugnaught, the, yes. <laughs> the Nick Nolte Ugnaught, oh I have spoken, um, was great because it's there's really like a a relationship this Ugnaught has with the Mandalorian people, and so that whole sequence where he's trying to learn to ride the Blurg, yeah, <laughs> Blurg, but it's very funny until the moment. That the Ugnaught is like your ancestors rode the great. Um, now I can't remember what the word yeah. is for the, the whatever it is, but you know that that all of a sudden waited down this scene for this person who was like, oh, "Fine, you're right. Like I cannot give up because this has now become a stature thing. This has become a Mandalorian thing, not just a bounty hunter thing." And yeah. I think that gave us from a sequence that was like very funny and very like light to all of a sudden like, Oh no, this is another character moment. And then also, and that's a good point. I didn't expect it to be funny and it was right? really funny it was between that scene funny. and the scene with, I think it's IG 11 is the name of the droid. Um, with IG 11, Taika Waititi. Yeah, Taika Waititi. <laughs> um, but this, when he kept being like, I'm going like, I'm going to like, <laughs> Activate my self-destruct. And Pedro Pascal's like, no, do no. not activate your self-destruct. <laughs> like, oh my God. That was that was like really good, like buddy comedy. Like I, I agree. And I didn't expect it. And I thought I was really like I was really happy because um and then going back to the Mandalorian being like a neutral party. Um, and I think it's really interesting because we haven't seen we've we've seen Star Wars through the eyes of people like Han Solo and Finn who are, um, you know, like I don't have like like it's it's different. It's different than yeah. them who they aren't necessarily uh, resistance or first order or rebels or empire, but they're they're just they just like they still have somewhat of a stake in the game. Yes. The man like the Mandalorian is different because his loyalty like I guess my thing with them is they don't have any loyalty. Like for Han, it's just, you know, run trying to keep his, you know, nose, you know, like head down and like run smuggle cargo and whatever. Mandalorian's loyalty is to himself and to his people. I think that's different. It is different because it's out of every other kind of um for the most part, if we're talking on screen, I should mm-hmm. say, because I, I'm i not up to date on the comics and I'm not up to yeah. date on all the books. But, like, on screen, every other character we've seen or every other story we've seen has been within the context of the Empire or the Rebellion or the First yeah. Order. Yeah. We Agreed. don't get a dedicated space for characters outside of that um, binary mm-hmm. and so the Mandalorian is going to be a really interesting perspective of people who are like the most we got was Mandalore within Clone Wars and yeah. Rebels but even then it's through the perspective of you know Obi-Wan and the Duchess or Sabine and they have relationships to the outside even though the argument is there for them not to. And also this is a this is one of the first Star Wars things I can think properties I can think of besides Rogue One, and this had a very Rogue One feel to me. It where did. The it Force did. user is not the main character. Yes, because in Rogue One, uh, um, Chirrut Imwe is the Force user, and he's not the main character. But otherwise, if you look through, like you know, and I am making, I am you know, making assumptions that, you know, that young Link is a force user, but it's, it's, I, and I, I really like that perspective. And I think mm-hmm. with Dave Filoni, who did Rebels and Clone Wars, and he has, he's like kind of the mastermind and he is like, he and has inherited, he inherited George Lucas's legacy in a lot of ways and has like directed the course of how the force has been, de- been depicted on screen. I think we yeah. are going to get some of those answers, because he is so into force lore 
and True. so into like the way the force works and the way all this stuff works. So I think we will get some, I don't think we'll get all of them because it's star Wars and it, they don't answer. They very rarely answer all the questions, but, um, I, I don't know. I really very much liked it. Um, as a whole, I was, I was just so impressed with it. Like it was just genuinely enjoyable to watch while also feeling like quote unquote important. Mm-hmm. And those two things often like it's important to the franchise. It- it's important to, and it's also just, it's, it's trying to make a statement and it's trying to, but it's also really enjoyable to watch. And that's hard to do. It is. It is really difficult to do. And it's difficult to do when you're, asking people to care about something that is outside of what they already know. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. I can't yeah. wait to see where it goes. And the, I have the, no the idea. schedule is so weird. I think the next episode's on Friday. Like this Friday? Yeah. The release schedule. Oh, it's good. like It's like, it's like twice a week. And then the last episode of the season is like December 27th or something. Which makes right. me, it makes, honestly, I feel like Clone Wars season, the new clo- season of, the final season of Clone Wars, the rise of Skywalker and this are all somehow going to like tie together in some. Oh, I hope so. Because clo- and you know the what that se- way is? What way is that? I hope it's Ahsoka Tano. I, do, I agree. I agree. Okay. Yes, I agree. <laughs> um, but we know the last season of Clone Wars is going to deal with Ahsoka and Mandalore. So oh, I would, that's true. That's true. I would guess that. Even if it's not like a direct, like we can see how man, you know, we'll be able to like take some stuff away from that. Um, and then the with the rise of Skywalker and the stuff we know about the Force and the Emperor, and I, I just wonder if it's all going to tie together. And that's why they're structuring the release schedule the way they are. Because the only reason I can see that they are doing it like this is to. Um, because, like, usually you would think they would drag it out to keep people subscribing as long as possible. Yeah. But if they want the last episode to come out proximate to The Rise of Skywalker. And a week after The Rise of Skywalker. Right. So which it's is like they want you to go see the very movie and then watch the last episode. Huh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right? Huh. Super weird. Super weird, but also interesting and also a little, like, nerve-wracking for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. All right. Well, that was, I guess, our discussion about the Mandalorian yes and we'll continue to discuss it as um you know as it continues to air uh but now we also want to talk about another kind of big television release uh that started not this week but a week ago mm-hmm. which is the first episode only the first episode because I haven't had a chance to watch the second yet of uh His Dark Materials on HBO yes and so um we'll start with a non-spoilery discussion again and then give you a time code for spoilers but what did you think I really liked it so I read I read the his the the trilogy so the the full the full one when I was in undergrad for like a British fantasy course um and I loved the series I loved that it had like the magic and all of that, but also these like kind of very deeply philosophical undertones. Cause I'm a huge weird dork for religious fiction mm-hmm. and it paired my love of fantasy and religious fiction together really well. And so I was really excited to see what I thought was the tone of the book reflected on screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a de- like I, I, I similar, but I didn't read them in, I read them in college for the first time. I didn't read them for a course. I just read them, but it's it's interesting that both of us we did not we don't have the history of like growing up on these books. No, and I'm trying to because I feel like the first book came out. I mean, what's interesting is that the Golden Compass, when the trilogy came out in England, was not um, marketed as children's. Yeah, yeah. It it wasn't until it came here that it was marked as children's, which is very very interesting. Um, and so, and it's been a long, I've only read the books once, so it's been a really long time since I've read them. And, um, that being said, I really enjoy, I've watched the first two episodes and I won't, I won't spoil anything in the second episode, but, um, I, when does that ever happen? I'm ahead of you and so I know, <laughs> like it never happens. So I'm going to revel in it for like these like 10 minutes, but, uh, I love the aesthetic. There's a lot of things I loved about it, but, like, the aesthetic was what, like, hit me instantly. Like, the aesthetic, like, just, it's a beautiful show. It's very well done. And just the, like, way it's done, it's hard to put into words, but the way it's done feels very reminiscent of the books. 
Well, it's it's what's I think unique about the books is that they're written kind of very classic British style, which mm-hmm. is not really talking down to children. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I feel like there's a there's a class of British children's literature. I'm not saying this is children's literature, but it does uh, center a child with Lyra. Yeah. Um, and there is a class of books that that feature children um, by British authors that the way they write is not at all um, minimized or kind of like talking down to anybody. And yeah. I think that's what the show did, like in, in difference with the movie, which was very much trying to market towards this like fantasy kids, like exciting, scary movie, whatever it was like, this felt very much like, Yes, Lyra is the center, but it was a very adult show. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, And, okay, should we get into spoilers? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, So, how about that James McAvoy? Oh, my goodness. Like, I love James McAvoy in basically everything. There's something so just fun about watching him on screen. And so getting to see him as, like, just, ugh. Lyra, just what yes. a dick! What yes. an absolute garbage person! And like, we're gonna try not to do spoilers for the story. Um, yeah, because I know a lot of people haven't read it. Yeah, so we'll we'll maintain like the 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 episode plot, but like he's such he's just so awful to yeah. her, and it's clearly like she wants so desperately to be loved, Mm -hmm. which is how she gets into the mess that is coming Mm -hmm. is this like desperation for connection and love. And he just can't give it to her like that. I will say that moment when um, she runs up to the, whatever you call it, the, the The airship, (laughs) the airship. Um, And, you know, she screams at him like, is this is this like the one my parents died on or whatever it was? And he's like, no, it was smaller. You see, like, there's a moment, and this is where McAvoy's so good, of, like, slight heartbreak on his yeah. face and regret, but then he still, he still does the thing. Yep. He still goes. Yep. I think he's so good. And, like, even despite the fact that he is a complete dick, like, I still... I love him and I love yeah. like he's so good and like I can't wait for what I know is coming but I also can't wait for what I've forgotten because I've forgotten so much about the mm-hmm. story so a lot of the like I remember the overall plot but a lot of the twists and turns I don't and so um yeah I really I thought it was really good the, the actress who plays uh Lyra um I don't remember her uh, da- uh Daphne Daphne Keen uh she's really good very well cast. Um, she, oh, she's excellent. Because Lyra is this, like, n- she's not a good kid. She's actually no. not even a very, like, necessarily compelling child. She's kind of, like, crude and not, she doesn't like to learn her lessons. And, you know, and so Daphne Keene is great because she's still, like you said, like, super compelling. Yeah, she, like, like L- Lyra is, like, if you don't like kids, kind of an annoying kid. Oh, like yeah. very precocious, very sure of herself, very like I know better than you, and I'm not going to listen to you. Like it's, but but the way Daphne Keene plays her is very. You are very much like I never found her annoying to watch. Agreed. Which is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought she was excellent. And oh my god, the um, the demon, the demons. The oh the day day I don't know Damon Demon however you yeah. say it uh Pantamalion I oh. love you poor Pan I know oh, I love him so much he's so cute they're so they were so cute and they're very well um acted very expressive mm-hmm. very well animated yes yes that's more not well acted because they didn't hire actual well, the, no but like the voice actors yes are, yeah are yeah very with the voice strong. actors um. No, I really liked it. I'm like, I'm like running out of things to say beyond like, I really liked it. But I thought it was, it was just very much a first. Okay, let me put it this way. Mandalorian, I felt like, because we're talking about two first episodes here. Mandalorian, 
I felt like I was being inserted into a universe I already knew and being told a new story. So in a lot of ways, there's a lot more threads to follow. There's a lot more connections to make. This is being inserted into a completely new world, which is good. And I thought it was really good, but it very much is the first episode of a series in a way that The Mandalorian is not because it has the richness to draw from, like the rich Star Wars universe to draw from. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. I do... I think they did a a strong job kind of building the world for us because it's enough of the familiar that you feel like you're there and you understand it, but it's enough of the kind of like difference that it's a little off kilter and so you're a little unsettled, which yes. is I think how you should be as a viewer of this series. Yeah. Um, I did want to discuss the how they handled the separate threads of storytelling because yeah. there is – the whole story with Lyra and Lord uh, Azrael and um, Mrs. Oh my God, what's her name? Coulter. Ruth Wilson's character, Coulter. Thank you. Um, and then, and then there's also the magisterium the, and the magisterium and the kidnapping of these children and what's going on with these gobblers and how quite terrifying that is. And I, I actually think they pulled back a little on the scariness of it of these children being taken, like they leaned into it a little bit, but it did feel like they were kind of stopping themselves. From I feel making like it they too scary that that becomes um, more central in the second episode. Yes. Okay. I see that because I know there's a moment from the previews. That is a moment I still think about from the books that like makes my heart hurt that, yeah. Oh, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to watch it, which is part of the reason I've been putting it off. But I do like the whole building of the um, the communities, the various communities that are reflected, and and will eventually have to deal with one another because they're still being they're very separate right now. And so I'm looking forward to see how they are like going to braid all these threads together yeah. on the show. Yeah, I think they did a pretty good job. It's a very complex world, and there's a lot of politics going on. Yep. I think they did a good job, not a great job, but a good job setting all that up. Some of the magisterium stuff was, even for someone who'd read the books, like I was having to like mm-hmm. rely on my book knowledge a little bit and being like, I forgot what's going on here. Yeah, this isn't agree. quite clear. Some of the magisterium, like academic stuff, some of that like high level stuff. But I think that'll, I think it'll smooth out. There was just, I mean, it is like there's a, there's, there's a lot of world to build in a very short amount of time because this story gets going like yes like it is a quick like it is a fast-paced story and I'm assuming that this first season is going to be the story of the first book that's yeah from what I've read it they want to do a season per book until the third one and then they want to do two seasons for the third book okay um which I think makes sense but um yeah there's like there isn't a lot of time set up story so I think they did about as good of a job as they could yeah, I I agree. I um, agree. And so, like, that would be, like, if I had one big criticism, is there's a lot, like, when it comes to those scenes, there's a lot of talking. And it's a lot of talking with, like, kind of very vague implications, mm-hmm. which is a little frustrating as a viewer. Like, like you said, like, if we didn't have the book knowledge, I can see how I would have been significantly more confused. Yeah by, you know, the entire sequence at Oxford and what was going on and what this, what, why the, why the um, teachers were so scared. Yeah. And like, what's the deal with, like, yeah, exactly. Like, like, it just, it feels like it comes out of nowhere and then he's getting poisoned. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. And like, you kind of put the threads together as it goes along. But like, I felt like that was a little bit it made a few assumptions about what you already knew. Yeah. And it doesn't really fill in the blanks. So you kind of have to like just go with it and then kind of deduce from your own what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agree. Um, but that being said, that is like, and that's my major criticism is that otherwise I thought it was really like Mrs. Coulter is very, very well cast. Um, I think the casting generally is pretty good. Um, uh, Matt McAvoy's great. Um, Daphne Keene's great. Ruth Wilson is Mrs. Coulter. She's really good, and she really takes center stage in the second episode. Um, and so she was very good, very creepy. I also really liked Clark Peters as the master, mm-hmm, who mm-hmm. who I thought he was 
I th- it, it's true. Everyone was super well cast and kind of handled their roles with a gravity, but also without getting too over the top with it. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Overall, real good. Can't yes. wait. Again, a like Mandalorian. Plus, Can't plus. wait. Yes. Um, okay. I think that's like, that's pretty much our episode. Look at us staying with I mean, we've got a few more things, but, like, look at us staying within an hour. I know. Very impressive for us, to be honest. Okay. Um, all right. Things we love right now. Do you want to go first? Sure. Um, okay. So I've been I've been watching more TV lately um, because – and, like, doing other things because my brain is too tired to focus on books. And, like, I just – I have, like, severe burnout as a product of having a one-year-old that is – constantly like rambunctious and like he's so sweet but he's like into everything so like I just I can't I can't concentrate so mm-hmm. watching a lot of tv and reading or and playing a lot of video games so right now the thing I love is a video game called Outer Worlds and it is kind of Fallout meets Mass Effect I never played Fallout but it's from the same I think it's from the same studio that did the Fallout games and this is making me want to go back and play them and like Mass Effect because it's set in space um, but, like, I have said again and again about how terrible I am at first-person shooters. So while this is a first-person shooter, there's a story mode. <coughs> and even I find the battles easy in that saying something. Like, I've never died. Ever. I love that. And I have used, like, a health potion, like, four times. And, like, I love it. It's so good. And it's just, like, it's a lot of fun. Very character-driven. Good story. Um, great visuals. So I'm really enjoying that. And then Dickinson on Apple Plus. Apple TV oh, Plus. I want to watch it. It's so good. It's like, it's so good. It's so unexpected. It's the story of, sorry, I'm going to cough again. <coughs> it's the story of Emily Dickinson, um, but it's all done in like modern sensibilities. Like it's not a modern show. It's not mo- set in modern times, but basically <coughs> it's just very modern sense of humor, very dark, very funny. I really like it. I know. I want to watch it, but I I don't have Apple Plus, and I feel like everyone I asked, I was like, "Did you did you get Apple Plus?" They're like, "No, I got a new phone, and it came with Apple Plus." That is exactly what I did. Like, I I, I know <laughs> I upgraded my phone, and it came with a year of it, so now I have a year of it. But I don't know that it's worth paying for. I have not heard very good things about any of the other shows. Yeah, Dickinson is the only one I really want to watch. Ugh, I wish you could rent TV shows. I know. Oh, so annoying. Um, okay. Uh, I am finally... So, I finally picked up Bloodline again from Claudia Gray. Oh, like, yeah. Because I had started it years ago, and then I put the book down and lost it. Uh, and then I moved. And so, finally, I was like, I just really want to read this. I want to read it leading up to Sky, like Rise of Skywalker. And so, I bought it, and I, I've started that. And it's been actually really kind of difficult to to read because there's so many wonderful like internal moments with Leia and when I say difficult I mean it just it's because I'm sad because because yeah yeah you know it's it's sad um but of course like Claudia Gray has such a wonderful handle on the character which if you read Leia Prince of, of Alderaan you know um and I'm not I think I'm about 30 percent into it or so yeah ish uh so I'm it's like kind of this vague sense of dread is building as yes. I'm reading. Yep, yep. If I remember where you are correctly, then yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. For good reason. Uh, and then, of course, because Disney Plus launched yesterday, I'm watching the original X-Men cartoon. Oh, it's my God. Oh, so good. I'm like, I need something that I've seen before that I can watch while I cross-stitch. And yeah. so I was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to watch the original X-Men cartoon, and it's just as awesome and absurd as I remember. Um, just a joy. And uh, one of the interesting things is all these old things coming back from Disney, which we now have to watch on our new TV screens, is yeah. a little, like, the aspect ratio is a little uncomfortable and, and difficult to get through. But once you get used to it, it's fine, I think. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing is... I cannot stop listening. Oh, God. What is it going to be? So Frozen 2 is coming out soon. And the lead single, unlike 
last time, which was Adina Menzel singing Let It Go, which wonderful because that song is, I know it's played out, whatever, but Adina Menzel has an amazing It's still voice. a good song. I mean. Still a good song. Yeah. Still a great Disney song. Still a fun song to listen to. They have outdone themselves. Yes. The main Adina song is uh, Into the into the Unknown or Into the Great Unknown. Uh, but for the single, it's performed by Panic at the Disco. And it's freaking awesome. That's amazing. I have listened to it. So, like, I, I bought it last night and I've listened to it, like, 40 times. I'm not even kidding. It is so fun. And, like, it it's bringing me back to being, like, 21 and oh listening to Panic at the Disco. I oh. love it. I love it so much. Um, going back to Bloodline really quick, after you finish that, if you have time, I highly recommend reading Resistance Reborn because there are a lot of threads from that Re- Rebecca, uh, Rebecca Roanhorse picks up mm-hmm. from Bloodline and, like, continues through Resistance Reborn. That's the book that came out November 5th, and it's basically bridges the gap between um, Last Jedi and um, The Rise of Skywalker. And it's really good. And um, let me just, okay, let me just, I'm not going to spoil it, but uh, if you are into, if you are a Finn and Poe shipper, (laughs) you should read this book Um, because, like, we know, we know at this point, like, I I have very few hopes for them making anything explicit on screen because, for many reasons, but I just, I just don't think they are. But, like, if you're looking for that, this is probably the closest it's going to get, is all I'm going to say. So go pick that up. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I guess that's, that's it. We did a yeah, good job, a and good I'm very job. impressed yes. with that. Yes, <laughs> we did. Uh, so, as usual, we are part of the Hard Knock Life Podcast Network. You can find all the podcasts in the Hard Knock Media family at hardknockmedia.com. Today, we want to shout out the podcast, The Middle Geeks, whose latest episode has hosts Swara and May talking to critic Roxana Haddadi about Babak Anvari's Netflix film, Under the Shadow. Um, we are very grateful to our Patreon subscribers. Um, thank you to Fazian Meredith Smith at the $10 level and Sylvia, Martha, Brandy, Rahul, Jordan, Annie, Claire, Brian, Re- Robert, Maya, Gayatri, and the Knott family at the $5 level. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Daisy Geek Girls, and I am at Run With Skizzers. I am at S Krishna. Uh, please also rate us on Apple Podcasts. I, we think that it helps. We don't know. We don't know. But we just say it. We, yeah, because everyone else says that we don't want to be left out. <laughs> yeah. And until next time, McClunky! <laughs> <laughs>